The Guardian. This is Celia Reese for the Guardian Children's Book Podcast. I'm going to be reading from my new book, This Is Not Forgiveness. This Is Not Forgiveness is a departure for me. It's a contemporary novel. It's part political thriller, part twisted romance. I can't decide what to do with your ashes. It's been nearly a year now, almost summer ago. The urn is sitting in front of me on the desk. Brown plastic with a reference number. The date and your name scribbled on a sticky label. Robert Julian Maguire. The label has black borders and is beginning to peel at the corners. I smooth the wrinkled paper, trying to stick it back. It has been slapped on crooked by someone who didn't care a whole lot about the contents. There are all kinds of urns you can have. Brass, copper, pewter, ceramic. You can have a wooden casket with engraving on it. But those cost and someone have had to care enough to order one and buy it. I guess yours is the modern equivalent of the pauper's grave. I went to the funerals. They held them one after another. I don't think they meant them to be that way, but the crematorium was busy that day. Yours was the second, not much like the first. No orations, no weeping schoolmates clutching single blossoms to put on the coffin, sobbing out rubbish verses that they'd written themselves. No inky hand-printed notes on the flowers, R.I.P., see you in heaven, gone but not forgotten. No flowers at all. Hardly anyone there either. Only the bare minimum for decency. Police and immediate family. Some of your mates, but not many. Just Bryn and a few others wearing uniform. The priest was sweating. He kept dabbing his forehead with a big white handkerchief and stumbling over his words, scratching about to find something to say stringing it out until the time came for the rollers to engage. You would have pissed yourself. Nobody sang the hymn. There was just this tinny recording. Nobody cried or even looked sad. The congregation seemed relieved to see your coffin going, as if it wasn't a body on its way to the furnace, but some dangerous biohazard. They couldn't wait to get out of there. I was the one who went back to collect your ashes. That's how I've got them here. Mum doesn't like it. She keeps nagging about disposal and closure. Keeping you here is morbid and probably unhealthy. I don't see it. The Morgans had their granddad on the mantelpiece for years and years. She wants rid. But what's it to do with her? You are my brother. She doesn't have to come in here. It's upsetting your sister, she said. I know for a fact that Martha couldn't give a monkey's fat one. Anyway, she's not even here, so what does she care? I can see Mum's point of view. What you did was pretty disruptive. I had to move schools. I couldn't go back there, could I? Mum wanted to move house, move towns. After what happened, she wanted to make a fresh start. You've made the place toxic. But in the end, we didn't do that. We'd have had to move Grandpa. It wasn't really that either. What happened had changed her. At times, she blamed herself. Somehow, it must be her fault. That's what she thinks. Maybe getting rid of you would give us closure, as she puts it, but I don't think so. The brown plastic kind of contains you. You don't deserve to be liberated yet. 
I'll decide the time and place. It could be tomorrow, it could be years from now. But until that day comes, you're staying right here with me. But this is not forgiveness. Don't think that. This is quite a departure for you doing a, a contemporary novel. You're best known for historical fiction, for witch child, for, for vampires. Where on earth did this come from? Well, whenever I write anything, it, I'm always led by an idea. So if it's an idea that would be a historical novel, then it becomes a historical novel. But this idea came from a film. It came from Francois Truffaut's film, Jules et Jim, uh, which is about two young men who fall in love with the same girl. And they are close friends, and she's an extraordinary girl, a free spirit. When I was watching the film, I suddenly thought, you could make this now, you could update it, you could write about this now with two boys who are friends, say, and a girl that they both fall in love with. And that's as, that's as much as I had to, to start with. But I knew straight away that I didn't want to write it as a historical fiction, even though the book itself and the film are set in the time of the First World War. And I'd written contemporary fiction before, a long time ago, when I first started writing for teenagers. The book is told from the perspective of, of three different characters, two, two boys, one girl, each quite unusual in their own way, aren't they? Well, when I first started writing, the two boys were friends. That didn't work, that I couldn't differentiate them enough, I couldn't make them different enough. And so I made one boy, Jamie, the main narrator, you hear his voice in the reading, is 17 and he's still at school, he's in the sixth form. Uh, but he has an older brother, Rob, who's 23 and a soldier. And Rob has been invalided out of the army. He was wounded, injured very badly, and his legs smashed up and he's, he's had to leave the army. And he's at home and he isn't happy. He can't settle back into civilian life at all. And so... I wanted, I wanted two characters who are very, two male characters who are very close, they're brothers, but very, very different. And between them is a girl, uh, Caro, and I wanted her to be like the Jean Moreau character in Jules et Jim, Catherine, quite extraordinary, quite exceptional, very, very different from everyone else. Not someone you would maybe like on first meeting or even like at all, but a girl that is incredibly attractive to a certain type of boy or a certain type of man. And Jamie is, is love at first sight, coup de foudre in French. He is absolute smitten. But he does, what he doesn't realise, I don't want to give too much away, but is that, her, that his older brother has been involved with this girl before. So then you've got this triangular tension between the three characters that I, I wanted in the book. And it's fair to say they aren't the most likeable characters, are they? You, you already mentioned that um, Caro is, is not somebody that you warm to immediately, if at all. Um, Rob, the older brother, is very emotionally damaged. She's manipulative. Jamie is quite naive. Did you ever feel that there was a risk in writing these characters in this way? I'd say the risk is different. I'd say the risk is to write about nice people who are completely anodyne and everybody loves them and they love each other and there's no tension and there's no excitement and there's just nothing in there. And some of what they do involves politics. Caro is, is very politically 
involved. Do you think we're likely to see more characters like like Caro as we see an increasing political awareness amongst young people at the moment? Well, I certainly hope so. When I first thought of Caro, I needed a way of making her different from all her schoolmates and all the people she knew, all the girls she knew. And, and, and other people, I suppose. So I needed to find an interest. I needed to find something about her that was different. And I thought of radical politics. And when I, I mean, the ironic thing is when I first thought of the idea and I first pitched it and suggested it to, to my publisher, there was a bit of doubt about that, about whether young people are interested in politics. It seemed a bit kind of out there, a bit 60s, really. And then, suddenly, the streets were full of marching students, people overturning police cars, kicking in the doors of of Conservative headquarters, smashing HSBC windows. And I thought, it's there. It's absolutely there. She can have this interest. And it can grow and grow, which, which it does as the book goes on. It's almost as though when I was writing it, all these events were happening. And every time something happened, I had to kind of increase her, her militancy. Moving on to more general questions about your writing, we've got some questions from uh, members of the Children's Book site for you. The first questions come from Orly the Bookworm. Hi Celia, I just wanted to tell you that you're my idol and I think your books are amazing. Um, If you could go back to any era in time, um, which would you go back to and why? As a woman, I think that what people forget is how vulnerable women were in any past period, in matters of of childbirth particularly. I think I might be happier to go back as a man. I don't want that misunderstood, but I think that being a woman would be make you likely to have a much shorter life than you can look forward to now. Since you're a writer of historical fiction, um, what did you enjoy more at school, history or English? I have to say history. Ironically, English was not my best subject when I was at school. I was taught very traditionally, I was terrible at grammar, my spelling was a bit iffy, my handwriting was was not of the best, I'm left-handed, and I was always told that I was untidy and messy. And those sort of things were judged then in English. And it wasn't until I got into the sixth form and I was doing A-level English that I really began to enjoy it as a subject. So I I really enjoyed studying English literature A-level, but I always loved history. Quite a difficult question, I think, from Orly Next, which is, if you could have written any book in the world, what would it be and why? That's a stunner, that one. I Seriously, I think if I could have been any writer in history, I would want to be William Shakespeare. Having written a book about William Shakespeare with him in it, The Fool's Girl, I'm fascinated by him and I would love to be inside his head. If I could go back as a man, I'd go back and be William Shakespeare because he led a good full life and, you know, it would just be fascinating to know what he, what he was like and where, where, as people ask me always, where do your ideas come from? I'd love to know where Shakespeare's ideas came from. Moving on to um, Sherry, she asks, do you have any weird habits when you, when you write? specifically when you write, (laughs) such as making faces as you type or eating specific food? I must admit, I don't eat when I write because I get crumbs into the keyboard and that's not very good. I do drink coffee and try not to spill that. I don't make faces. I don't ever listen to any music or 
anything. I can't listen to anything when I'm writing. I ha on my table, though, on my desk, I have lots of things, little objects and things I've collected. And sometimes I play about with them. So I've got, for example, I've got in Toy Story, there's a three-headed alien that my husband bought me and he used to hang over the top of the computer but I've got a new computer and he falls off all the time but he's on my table so I've got all these almost like talismans on the table. She'd also like to know how long does it take you to finish uh, writing and editing? Writing, actually writing a book for example writing This Is Not Forgiveness put me maybe three or four months much faster than it would I would write if I was writing historical fiction because I tend to research as I go along with historical fiction. So I will, I will write a bit, then I'll have to do some research to do the next bit and so on. So it takes longer. But the editing process took me a year almost because the drafting and redrafting of a book is, for me, one of the most important processes. That's when lots of things get added, added in, get changed, get get strengthened, deepened. For me, that is one of the most important things that I do. So it takes perhaps 18 months to, to finish both writing and editing. Celia, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.